going on, everybody? I'm Two Tone the Artist. And I'm Mitch the Peach. Welcome back to the Hills Are Silent podcast, where we chop it up into little pieces about the games of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Let's go ahead and dive in. All right, man. Hope you've been doing good. I see you got a new background. You want to let the... Well, if you're listening, you can't see it, but... Mitch is in a new area. You want to explain to everybody yeah. why that is? Yeah, my uh, my landlord of my previous place contacted me probably on February 1st and said I need to be out by the end of the month because they were selling my, my apartments. So I had no choice but to move. So here I am. I am in a new spot, only 15 minutes away from where I previously lived, so still here in the wonderful city of Chicago. But... Um, I, uh, yeah, it's a new place. Uh, the office is still great, so I still got a still got a good spot to podcast with you. I'm excited. Excellent, man. So you're completely unpacked. Place is all set up now. Completely unpacked. Need to hang some stuff on the walls, as you can see. You got a blank wall behind me. Uh, uh, at some point, I'll get that stuff up. It's more of a two person job, though. <laughs> uh, other than that, yeah, I'm all unpacked. Got all my. Uh, Got all my boxes out to recycling. Uh, it looks like I live here now, so it's great. Awesome, man. Glad you're settled in. Glad you found a new place. Hopefully, hopefully no rats, no roaches. I hope not. I'm on the third floor, which helps. Um, yeah. As well as, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big, uh, pretty, pretty snazzy place. I have a doorman and parking for the first time in my life. So Ooh, that's fancy. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty wild to think about, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been good. It's been it's been a smooth transition, even though I did not want to leave. <laughs> Got it. All right. Well, I've had a busy week. I was out of town for a while. Now I'm back. That's why we did not have an episode last week because Mitch yes. was moving and I was away for the week. Anyway, I've been playing a little bit of games. Pretty much the stuff I've already been talking about. Just trying to wrap a few things up. Beat a couple games I started before I jump into something new. Uh, but what about you? Any Anything new that you've been playing lately? Yeah, sometimes life gets in the way. And I've been playing uh, I've been playing a lot of the same stuff too. Still playing a lot of Hogwarts Legacy. But uh, I did uh, have a chance to co-host on my friend's podcast. Uh, shout out to the... Uh, Shout out to my friends over at uh, Here's a Guy podcast. But my my guy that I brought forward in the podcast was Phil Fish. And Phil Fish developed a game named Fez. And Fez was released in 2012 on the Xbox Live Arcade as a timed exclusive. It's an indie puzzle platform game that's developed by Polytron Corporation, which is Phil Fish's company. It was actually, yeah, it was a timed exclusive for Xbox Live Arcade, which I think we've talked about maybe in the past, though. But Xbox Live Arcade was a really, like, almost the uh, the driver of, um, of like, the indie developers when they first were coming out and whatnot. They did a really good job of giving indie developers a, a place or a platform to, uh, to, to highlight their games. And Fez being one of them. Uh, so Fez's development cycle, it, it was... Uh, it was like a five-year development cycle, and there's a lot of controversy around that. And I, I wanted to talk with you because uh, 
I think five years now in a development cycle is very normal. I mean, there's so many delays in today's age. Like, I think five years isn't that crazy to to think about as far as developing, especially with him. He's developing this game. I think he only had one other guy who helped him with it. Uh, but I thought it was interesting. They uh, Looking it up, they actually compared it to the rocky development process of Duke Nukem Forever. That was actually in an article that I was reading. And what? I didn't play Duke Nukem Forever, but you did. And so I, was there a rocky release with okay. that? Okay, that is... That is not a good comparison. All right. Okay. So Fez just took a long time to make, it sounds like, which five years, yeah, is a long time. But Duke Nukem Forever, that was in development hell for over a decade. And yeah, that there's a whole long history behind that game. But I think that that's a kind of outlandish comparison. There was a little drama surrounding the release. There was some legal battle between him and the guy who was helping him create the game that he thought this guy was trying to sabotage the release of the game in general. So there was a bit of drama behind it that I actually do talk about uh, a little in uh, the Here's a Guy podcast. But other than that, yeah, I think five years really isn't that long of a development cycle. I think as you talk about Duke Nukem, that's way, that's way longer. <laughs> yeah, and also this is a small indie game developed by one or two people and if it's a passion project and they're going to pour their heart into it and maybe not have the luxury of working on it full time then yeah five years is not that outrageous uh yeah the, the first time i ever saw this game i had no idea what it was i was sitting behind somebody in one of my college classes and the guy was playing it on his laptop and I was like, what the heck is that game? Like, I never forgot it because you like rotate, you rotate the level. It's a 2D game, but yeah, you I... can rotate the level to be able to access other parts of it. Mm -hmm. And I remember yeah, watching, I... watching the guy play it and that stuck in my mind. And here we are years later, you bring up this game and you show it to me. And I'm like, that's what that game was. Yeah, for uh, yeah, I definitely was gonna dive in and explain. Uh, I guess the premise of the game was it is very interesting. It's critically acclaimed. I think it was very almost revolutionary for its time. The way that they they did that rotating level that you uh, that you talk about, but uh, it is a you're a player character named Gomez, and uh, Gomez at the beginning of the game he receives this Fez and which is the name of the game which i i thought was funny because the fez is one of those like like that the red top hats with like the black tassel on it yeah, yeah if you can that that's where the game's name comes from which i think is just crazy to think about because it plays a very small part in the game where your main character receives this this fez that reveals his two-dimensional world can act is actually four sides of a three-dimensional world so once he puts the fez on he comes to a realization that this is actually a four-sided three three-dimensional world instead of the 2d world that he always thought it was and the goal of the game is to find 32 cubes full cubes to prevent prevent the universe from collapsing within it so if he finds all 32 cubes then he saves the world and essentially you find pieces of each cube in every level so every level you'll find parts of a full cube by rotating it left and right it's it basically platforming around but also maneuvering which way 
you know the the level faces or which side you're on because rotating each side brings different platforms or different possibilities as far as where you can go or maybe there's a piece of a cube on one of the four sides that you haven't looked at yet or maybe a door that opens on one of the four sides so it's a it's a cute game it's fun it's great art style i mean i'm very i was very impressed i actually bought this on xbox live arcade when it came out on my 360 and then they happened to give it away on the the epic epic store they gave it away at one point so i just claimed it because i knew what it was and i figured uh since i uh i i brought it up on the here's a guy podcast i might as well play it so i could at least talk about the gaming aspect of uh of the game and give it its due because it, it as much as phil fish is kind of a kind of a shady guy kind of a he's he's got a bit of controversy around him and he, he did create a wonderful game good job phil yeah good job phil you're kind of a terrible person but you made a great game <laughs> uh so this was the only game he ever made so yeah uh actually fez 2 was going to be in development but there was so much controversy around him and how and him as a person where he kind of just got overwhelmed by almost the fame of everything and i guess everything that he did was put under such a microscope that he he just simply retired from games and 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 put some social media post outs blaming everyone for fez 2 being canceled because they they were terrible to him <laughs> dang which I mean, yeah, I, the gaming industry is a cutthroat world, and uh, especially for an indie developer doing it on your own. I mean, you don't have the backup of a large company, you know, a large uh, company supporting you. So I mean, I get it in a sense, but uh, yeah, we'll never see a Fez two, at least haven't yet. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I told you this. Speaking of game indie game developers getting a lot of flack, so you know, a couple episodes ago, I talked about the game. Um, Echoes of the Living, which yeah. they which is a game that's not out yet, but a demo was released on Steam, and it's basically like a homage to the old PlayStation One Resident Evil games. It's got fixed camera angles, old style tank controls. Um, I mean, it plays exactly like a Resident Evil game on PlayStation One. Mm-hmm. And well, those developers got a lot of hate in the Steam discussion forums. And I think a large part of it is due to people not knowing what they were trying to do. So if you've got newer gamers that have never played the old Resident Evil games and they hop in this game, to them it's just going to look like this game has terrible controls or it's just... Or or not even that. Sometimes people are just mean. It's like I said, especially to game developers. It's like, I don't know what the deal is. It's very difficult to make games. It takes a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of headache. It's not easy, but people still want to just hate on people who are trying to make a passion project like that. Anyway, yeah, there's a reason the, why uh, review bombing is a thing, and uh, yeah. you know, people that just pile on because they think it's funny, even if you know the developers are putting a lot of time and effort and passion into a project. Yeah, I can't stand going into the Steam reviews and seeing someone leave a really, really nasty review, and then you look at their play time, and it's like twenty minutes. It's like, dude, did you even get right. past the main menu? Like, you just bought the game so you could leave them a hateful review. Because like, that's just what it seems like. Like, if you don't have at least a couple of hours logged, I'm not even going to consider your review as even being real. Valid. Yeah, or valid. Well, the exactly. thing is with 
the thing is with Steam though, like the, Steam kind of enables that in a sense though, because you can play the game for a specific amount of time. I can't remember if it's an hour or how much time they give you, but you can buy it, play it for a certain amount of time, and then you have the ability to refund it. They mm-hmm. actually let you refund it, and you don't even have to give a good reason for refunding it. They'll, as long as your playtime is like low and you only you know, it wasn't a lot of time hasn't passed since you bought the game. They'll give you your money back, so you can buy the game, leave a crappy review, get your money back. Yeah, it's totally a loophole for trolls. But anyway, so these developers were actually going through these discussion posts because they were responding to some of them, and I loved the game, and I didn't. I really don't want them to fold to any of the pressure. I didn't. I don't want them to stop development on the game and get discouraged. And I don't. Definitely don't want them to completely rework the game towards not what it was meant to be. Because I really liked right. the exact way they were making it. I was like, I, I am your niche audience. I am the exact person this game is made for. Like, screw all these right. other people. They are not your audience for this game. Like, so I left them. Uh, I left a message in the discussion post saying just that. I said positive. The title was positive feedback for the developers. And I basically said that. I was like, look, forget the hate. You guys are making a great game. I get what you're doing. These people are not your audience. Like, just keep at it, man. There are people here that really appreciate what you're doing and the problem is the hateful people have the loudest voices so they may not realize how many people are really excited about this game anyway i log into my email uh later on that week and apparently steam gives out like badges for just like positivity mm-hmm. or something so i got this cool little steam badge just like positive community badge or something and the developers responded to me and they were like thank you so much it's they said it's it's really hard dealing with with some of the hate and it's very discouraging but we really appreciate that you you chimed in and left this comment that's awesome you, d- you didn't even tell me this pre-podcast so I'm, I'm glad you're bringing it up now because I, I i love this this is awesome yeah i completely forgotten about it. I, i've been meaning to tell you about that because we did discuss that game a few episodes back yeah they deserve it and i'm going to go back and i'm going to play through the whole thing I, I i'm going to do the whole demo i i understand i i understand the control aspect and you know i've been there with other games so yeah i, I totally get it but yeah, props to you for leaving feedback and props to developers for actually going through and responding. Yeah. All right, man. You got anything else you wanted to cover on Fez? No, um, I, I don't know if I'll if I'll finish Fez. I, I don't know how long it is, but I really wanted just to dive in because I covered it on another podcast I guessed it on. And uh, it was a game that I, I, I really did enjoy. I didn't have a lot of money uh, when I had a 360 and living at home and... Uh, I remember saving up and getting some Microsoft points to buy the game, and it, it's a critically acclaimed game, and uh, yeah, it, it deserves a little bit of do. Nice. All right, so to shift over into some more sad news, I think most people are probably aware of this now, but if you're not, the Nintendo Wii U eShop and the Nintendo 3DS eShop are both getting shut down at the end of this month on March 27th. Now, a couple episodes ago, we talked about how some games were being removed from the Xbox 360 marketplace, speaking of, because we were just talking about it with Fez. But yeah, a, a set of games were being removed from that, and we were talking about how 
it's it's always sad to see games removed from digital storefronts and it's even sadder when the entire digital storefronts get shut down and i know the wii u was not that popular but and i i don't own one but i can tell you as somebody who always goes back and still looks at the xbox 360 marketplace i still log into my playstation 3 uh playstation network store and browse it sometimes that not having that capability is just very crippling for that console it's sad it's kind of like a nail in the coffin and same thing with the nintendo 3ds eShop. and i know that these shops there's maintenance involved from a development standpoint and if there's not enough people logging in and I'm still purchasing things on these, these online storefronts, then there's really no incentive for Nintendo or Sony or any company to continue to pour resources into it to keep it alive. But still, it's, I always like the feeling knowing that I can go back and, and log into these stores and check them out. And mainly because they're a total time capsule. Like you log into them, it takes you right back to 2012 or 2008 or 2005 or whatever it was that was the golden era of these consoles. So having said all that, uh, I do have a Nintendo 3DS. I've never bought anything off the eShop. And Mitch, I think you own both a Nintendo 3DS and a Wii U. Did you ever purchase thing purchase anything off of those those eShops at any point? I purchased something off both of those eShops actually. Okay. I, Do you remember what it was? I purchased the original Paper Mario off the Wii U eShop. Okay. Actually, one of my probably one of my top 10 games of all time is uh, the original Paper Mario and I bought that on there. Other than that, I kind of stuck to discs because uh, I knew it was kind of coming to the end of its life cycle and I wanted to get discs more than anything before they were, you know, maybe <laughs> a little harder to get. Yeah, so uh, do you mean the original Paper Mario on Nintendo 64? That's correct, yeah. So the, they, the Wii U eShop has had that and still has that for the meantime in their shop. See, and that's, what, that's what's so sad because when these platforms get really mature typically they have just a massive massive library of great offerings especially with nintendo like it's like they're bringing old classic games to the switch but if you own a wii u you have so many generations of video games at your fingertips because they have wii u games they have nintendo 64 games i wouldn't be surprised if they have super nintendo games or or game boy games on there as well through emulation you could own you could actually own a lot of games that you cannot get currently on any other platform unless you buy it on the original platform such as like Zelda Phantom Hourglass which is a 3DS game but you can also own it on your Wii U um, there's some other older ones like uh, Minish Cap which Minish Cap was a Game Boy Advance game Legend of Zelda Minish Cap but you could also own that on the Wii U eShop. There's a lot of like old from Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, Wii, the original Wii, as well as obviously Wii U games. And I think that's all. I don't know if there were any other. Uh, there weren't GameCube. GameCube's always been a tough case. There, I, I never usually see GameCube get uh, ported over very often. 
but still a lot of the options on that Wii U shop to own because currently with the Switch you can play a lot like you know original uh, 64 games you can play Game Boy Advance regular Game Boy but it's all through the paywall of their online service that you pay monthly for you pay yearly for yeah so in a sense it's different yeah absolutely because I'd rather just buy that game outright than just be buying monthly access to it and I know usually when these shops shut down, if you've already purchased stuff, usually several years after the shop is shut down, they still support the ability to download games you've already purchased. It's just that you can't purchase new games. Right. Uh, but yeah, and and that's another reason why I'm like totally an advocate for purchasing physical copies of things um, because eventually they'll quit doing that. Eventually... They'll, they'll shut down the shop, and then eventually they'll no longer allow you to download stuff you've already purchased. And there's definitely games that are digital only and exclusive to these shops. So once these get shut down, you'll just really won't have the means to get those games anymore. Uh, yeah, just gonna gonna be sad to see these go. Um, always meant to pick up a Wii U. Never did. I missed a really good opportunity to get one. I was in a half price books once, checking out the video, the used video game section, and they were selling a like a really good condition Wii U for I think like eighty dollars. Wow. And this, this was a couple of years ago, and that was the best price I had ever seen on a Wii U. And I was like, man, I should buy that. And I was like, that's, that's, that's still a decent amount of money. So I'm like, I'm going to walk around the store, look around, and think about it. And when I circled back around, a dude was already buying it. They, he oh, had the, no. the the person working there opening the case and getting it for him. I'm like, ah, I hesitated. I'll, I'll probably never get a good deal like that on a Wii U again. And sure enough, they've probably only gone not. up in price since then. I got mine through, I got mine before the Switch came out because I was, I don't know, I was craving some Nintendo content aside from the 3DS that I had. And so I found, a, I guess, a deal at the time on Craigslist and met a guy at a card shop and exchanged him for his Wii U. He gave me a Wii U that came with Mario Kart 8, Super Smash Bros., I think Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker that they ported over to Wii U. Oh, nice. So they gave me like all that for I think like two hundred bucks, which at that point was I thought was pretty good for it still being the newest Nintendo console, and I felt like it would be a novelty even you know after new stuff came out. And yeah. I mean I've got some run out of it. It's 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 been pretty good. All right, so I think this is a good time to bring up that some articles have been popping up on the internet about Wii U consoles failing. Now, I think yes. I think a lot of these articles have been kind of sensationalized. So they're all claiming that if you do not use your Wii U, like if you just have it sitting around, not plugged in, not being played, eventually it will stop working. And apparently this is due to a memory issue. Now, I don't feel like there's enough evidence to really say definitively that not using it is what is causing this failure. Um, I don't know. Did you hear any additional details about this? Or have you read anything additional yeah. about it, Mitch? 
I, I wanted to branch off of that because I did go through the rabbit hole of these articles. And it, like you said, it, it's not super, uh, super reputable sources. I thought it was funny. So the original report that I found was through Metro, which is a UK based news outlet of some sort. But they reference another report from Xputer, which is, I guess, is a very small video game website. And they reference a NeoGAF forum post. So this went like through three separate outlets and then ended up in a random forum on NeoGAF where somebody is saying, you know, if you don't boot it up every once in a while, it's near impossible to repair. I did look at the NeoGAF forum post to see what like exactly what he was saying about it. He did provide quite a bit of details and some research that he did independently. Essentially, he said that the console was not used for several years. The console wasn't hacked, but even hacked consoles do have that issue. Um, there was a memory error on the gamepad, and I will say the gamepad is a bit finicky. It has its own screen on it, so I will believe that I've had I did have one gamepad crap out on me before I uh, during my time with the Wii U. Oh, really? So I did. So it would it stopped connecting to the Wii U, which is a problem because sometimes when you go into specific settings with your Wii U, it forces you to use the tablet controller. So if you don't have that tablet controller, you can't even get the full function of the of the Wii U. So I, I do know that's that's a thing. I did get another controller and that one hadn't had any issues. But uh, other than that, somebody said trying to factor reset if you do run into some this sort of issue will break the console indefinitely. Um, other than that, uh, it it just seemed like just just some random examples that he kept pulling from from different forums and different maybe Reddit posts or whatnot. So all in all, not as we as you talked about, not not a super reputable source. This wasn't coming from a polygon or anything like that. Yeah. Um. So you have a Wii U. When I do. When was the last time you used your Wii U? So it was before I lived in my last apartment. I lived in the last apartment for two years. Okay. So it it's probably between two and three years since I've turned it on. All right. So you yourself have a Nintendo Wii U that's been sitting for up to three years, yes. not not turned on. In the box. All right. So we wanted to test this. So you decided that, all right, man, I'll bust out my Wii U that hasn't been turned on in three years. See if it works. So you haven't, I haven't talked to you about this since. What happened? Nope. So it does work and it works flawlessly, really. I, uh, I, I plugged it up, I, I turned it on and, you know, booted up with, without issue. And I, I wanted to check out the store though, then it, you know, because that was what's shutting down and I wanted to check out what was in it in case maybe, hey, maybe I'll buy something and download it before it gets shut down. I needed to, I needed to do a console update in order to access the shop. So I was a little nervous about that, but I went ahead and did the update for it. Update went through without issue. It only took a couple minutes, booted right back up, got into the shop and checked out everything the shop had and uh, that, is everything I remember because like the, the Wii U shop is a great shop. It has so much good stuff in it. And I was thinking of buying some of those uh, 
some of those Zelda games like Diminished Cap or Phantom Hourglass to have on my on my Wii U, and I still might do that actually. But I will say it works, and I we have one more thing that uh, I wanted to do a little quiz with you on. I, I wanted to boot up a game as well, which I did boot up a game and was playing it for about thirty minutes, and. I'm gonna not give you any hints, but you're not gonna get it. But I'm gonna still not. I want you to give me one guess on what I was playing. It's it's very random. One guess. All right. But then I'll start giving you hints. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you said one guess, and then you'll start giving me hints. All right. Yeah. Zombie U. No, that's a good guess though. That's okay. that's actually a pretty popular game on the on the Wii U. All right. Uh, so it it is a exclusive wii u game that is a mario game actually uh man having never owned a wii u i really and a lot of those games i know were ported over to switch so sometimes it's hard to to remember what was what so is it has it been ported over to switch can i get that hint it has not been ported over switch okay let's but there was a sequel to it on switch is it Mario Maker? No, that was that was. I guess that would that'd be good because I don't think the original Mario Maker was ported over. Uh Mario. Close though. So I'll give you one more hint. There is it. It originated on Nintendo sixty four. It had a GameCube version. It had a Nintendo Wii version. It had a Wii U version, and it had a Switch version. Holy crap. I don't know. Is and this... I talked about it a little bit earlier. I'm about to say, is I it talk... one of the Paper Marios? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is one of the Paper Marios. Okay. It is Paper Mario Color Splash. Which, ah, okay. uh, I, a lot of the Paper Marios after Thousand Years Door on GameCube, not so great. They People mm. hate them because they went into this little card trading. It, they, they really went away from what was great about Paper Mario 64 and Paper Mario Thousand Years Door. But uh, I played like half an hour of Color Splash and it was super charming and good writing and it still has not as fun mechanics as the old ones did, but I may, you know, I may die back. I have it hooked up, so I need to play something on it. Uh, have you played that zombie U game? No, but I kind of want to pick it up now that I have it hooked up. I, I always look for it when I uh, when I go to make a replay because that's where I get a lot of my Wii U games when I go over to our local, our hometown uh, uh, game store and make a replay. And I that's where I picked up Paper Mario Color Splash. I picked up Yoshi's Woolly Woolly World. I picked up Pokemon Tournament. I have a pretty decent Wii U collection right now, but uh, that's one I really want to get. I might have to look on eBay for that though. Nice, yeah, man. Hold on to those Wii U games. They're they're going up in in value. See, yeah, that that zombie U game always intrigued me. I I'm don't curious. know. I'm gonna take a look while you're while you're talking on on uh, eBay and see what it's at. Okay. So interestingly enough, I just found this out that that zombie U game was ported to PlayStation Four. Oh, really? So I don't know how necessary. I mean, I knew it was on PC. But I don't know how how much the Wii U enhanced the experience because I think you used the gamepad in it. But I know for a lot of those Wii U games, the gamepad, the way they incorporated the gamepad was just kind of gimmicky and didn't really like 
sometimes it made the game worse. So I almost wonder, is that a game that's better to play on Wii U, where it was designed for? Or would that be something that probably would be a better experience just playing it on PC or PlayStation 4? I'm looking on eBay here. You can get it uh, with the case in good condition, according to this, uh, for twelve fifty-seven. That's pretty twelve dollars and fifty-seven cents. So I may pick it up and uh, give it a give it a run on the on okay. the Wii U. I know on, on PlayStation Four it was only released digitally in the U.S., but PlayStation Four is region free, and I know the game was also released physically in, uh, I believe, the U.K. So you okay. could all. If, I was thinking about getting a physical copy of it, and I would just have to buy like a UK version off of eBay or something. Sure. But uh, anyway, I, yeah. I think all in all, before we wrap up the Wii U conversation, that at, I I feel like they shouldn't have named it the Wii U. I really think they should have called it something else with no Wii name incorporation in it, because it's a great console. It was a great gimmick, like. They Nintendo is always very innovative, and the controller is cool. And I like the touchscreen stuff on the controller. It is neat in some in some capacities. Like there was some cool stuff on Color Splash when I was playing that. But I think it just confused people. Where the point where they're like, "Oh, there's a Wii. It's a Wii. It's just like a, it's the same thing as what I have now. It's just a different version of it." But no, it was actually, you know, it was actually a next generation console at that point. Yeah, and it looks real slick too. Like I always wanted one. Just, just never picked one up. And I think that we wouldn't have a Switch today if it weren't for the Wii U. Because it kind of was like a... It's very similar because it's gamepad with a screen. They probably were at Nintendo it's like Design Lab looking at it and somebody just had that Eureka moment. Like, why don't we just get rid of the main console and just this, this part be the console? Or... I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like it's it's like Switch version 1.0, and then the Switch was just the great ideas that stemmed from this, even though the Wii U didn't do very well. Because for some games, there even is an option where you can just play on your gamepad, and they give you like the option to like instead of like going from your TV, you can just play on your gamepad oh. and then switch the channel. Oh yeah, it totally is <laughs> the original Switch then. Yep. All right, that's cool. I didn't know that. So yeah, yeah. Wii U, man, one of these days I'll pick one up. Hopefully I can get that once-in-a-lifetime deal again where it's 80 bucks or maybe even cheaper. There's um, still a couple games on there that haven't been ported over. I know uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X, which I do own on disc, was never brought over to Switch. Hmm. The sequels are on there, but uh, that one hadn't been brought over yet. So yeah. there's, there's a couple, but I know Nintendo's going to bring them all over eventually. <laughs> yeah. All right, so so speaking of failing consoles um, and failing Nintendo consoles, so I got a GameCube a couple of years back. I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but I've had multiple GameCubes throughout my life. Back when the GameCube was actually a new console, I had I bought it to play through the Resident Evil remake once I beat that. I sold the GameCube, then they came out with Resident Evil Zero, and I'm like, crap, all right, gotta buy it again so I can beat this. That's what I did, then I sold that afterwards. 
Uh, but you had a GameCube. I came over to your house plenty of times, played your GameCube library. A lot of great games I still, you know, that I have memories with. And then even when I owned it briefly while playing the Resident Evil games, I had rented other games. I think you had lent me some games too. So I, I definitely had experience with the GameCube library. But I've always meant to, especially when I really got into retro video game collecting, I always meant to pick up a GameCube again, and which I did a couple years ago. Found a good deal on one, and I was looking for a specific model because there is a later revision they made on the GameCube where I believe they removed a port on the back of the GameCube console and there are third-party accessories that you can plug into that port, so you have to get the specific model that has that port. And those, those accessories allow you to get HDMI out of the GameCube and basically get the best resolution you're going to be able to get straight out of the GameCube without really modding it or or just you know, using emulation or something to up the resolution of games. Right. So yeah, I found that specific model. I bought it. Uh, and then I wanted to mod it. So for those who aren't real up to speed on modding consoles, there's typically two ways you can mod a console. There is the hardware mod, which means you actually have to take the console apart and do some soldering. Typically... There is like a, a an extra chip you will solder onto the motherboard of the console to, to bridge some connections and bypass the security of the of the console at a hardware level. And then there's the much easier software mods, which is basically at some point somebody figures out a software exploit that you can take advantage of to mod the system and defeat the security of the system. And the reason why you would want to do that is because that then opens up the console to where you're not just restricted to actual official software. You can install homebrew software, a software that other people have made. Without getting too technical, you're basically running unsigned code, which means that the code... Um, does not need to adhere to the security restrictions of that console. Uh, I feel like I'm getting kind of in the weeds here. Anyway, the whole point of this is I got this GameCube, I wanted to mod it, and the GameCube, there's not really a lot of great software modding options, so you have to go the hardware route. Now, if anybody, if I'm mistaken and anybody knows some easy ways to software mod a GameCube, please let me know. But anyway, so I went the hardware route. And for that, you buy what's known as a GameCube Xeno chip. It's a mod chip. And you can get these real cheap. The one I have on screen right now, it's selling for $25, but I'm pretty sure when I bought mine, I paid like less than 10 bucks for it. Anyway, you open up the console and you solder this chip onto the motherboard. And this will allow you to bypass the security. You can run unsigned code, all kinds of software. You can you can play backups of games just on burnt CDs instead of the actual official CDs. Now, this mod chip is so tiny and I'm not very good at soldering. So I ended up botching 
this uh, this mod job. So I, I soldered it on incorrectly. I was like, oh crap. I got frustrated, tried to, to remove it and remove the solder and remove the chip. I was not patient enough. I ended up ripping the chip off and also taking off a huge chunk of the motherboard with it. <laughs> so I'm sitting there like, oh man, I know I just ruined this console. Like there's a whole chunk missing out of the motherboard now that just broke off. <laughs> so for some reason, I was like, I'm still going to put it back together and maybe by some miracle it still works. And lo and behold, even with a huge chunk missing out of the motherboard, that thing still works perfectly fine. I don't know what, what that part of the motherboard was doing, but obviously it wasn't important. Yeah, nothing important. <laughs> Which makes no sense to me. But yeah, my GameCube still works. I mean, I played it for hours and hours and hours after, after doing this, and it is yet to fail on me. Uh, so yeah, that was an embarrassing moment. I definitely need to get better at soldering. And uh, yeah. Honestly, I would have been a probably worse scenario if I tried to do it. So don't don't get too down on yourself. <laughs> uh, but the funny thing is, is I got ready for this. Like I bought the mod chip. Um, I bought the soldering stuff, everything I needed. And I even went and bought some of those mini blank CDs. So it's OK. This is a topic I want to cover. First of all, who is still buying blank CDs? Because you could still go to Walmart, Best Buy, anywhere, and buy a spindle of CDRs. And I I'm can't imagine enough people are buying these to keep these factories in business, but somehow they're still like readily available everywhere. I'm still making mixtapes for my high, my high school girlfriend. That's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> so so yeah, so they had the regular CDRs. Well, we all know the GameCube uses these mini discs. Well, they do have mini CDRs that are that are tiny that you can buy. They just hold less data. And I remember being a kid and buying those and thinking that they would just work in a GameCube, like unmodded, but of course they didn't. Um, but anyway, so I knew I was going to mod the GameCube and I wanted to, to burn some games to those discs to play them off of those discs. So I went on this hunt to find those. So even though the big blank CDs are still reg readily available, at the time of me doing this, those little ones were actually hard to come by. Now I just checked recently online and yeah, you can get them on Amazon and eBay for cheap. But for some reason, a couple years ago when I was doing this, this modding, they were crazy expensive on eBay and they were sold out everywhere else online. So I don't know if there was a shortage and or what happened. Um, and for a while there, I thought, man, maybe there's just nobody's manufacturing them anymore. Mm -hmm. So I checked every electronic store in Metro Atlanta to try to see if anybody had these in stock. And the only place that had them in stock was uh, a micro center out here. And they had two, like 10 packs in stock. So I went there, bought them, and I'm pretty sure at that moment, I bought the very last mini CDRs in all of Metro Atlanta. So if, if you live in the area and trying to find them, sorry, man, I got the last ones. I don't think they're anywhere to be found anymore. You'll sell them, but for a premium. Yeah. These aren't coming cheap. <laughs> well, I just let everybody know that you can now get them on Amazon and eBay easily. Uh, yeah, but, but at the time, <laughs> I was like, ooh, man. 
These are hard to come by. Anyway, uh, just to kind of redeem myself, I'm not always breaking stuff when I take it apart. And a couple of years ago, I bought a Nintendo 3DS for the first time. I mean, we're, we were just talking about the Nintendo 3DS with the shop closing. Fantastic console as well. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. wait, what'd you say, Mitch? I said or hand. I said fantastic console or handheld. I should say. Yeah, I mean it was always cool to me the idea to have like glasses-free 3D. It just mm-hmm. always appealed to me. Uh, anyway, I knew I was gonna mod it, but this time there's an easy software mod for the Nintendo 3DS, so I didn't have to take it apart. And to save some money. They're a lot cheaper if you buy a Japanese model. So I went on eBay and bought one from a Japanese seller. And I think at the time I only paid like 120 bucks for it. And it was like the, the new 3DS XL, like the last big, like beefed up model they, that they released. Yep. That's what I got. It's great too. Yeah. Big old screen on those things. So yeah, it, it came in the mail after a long shipping time. And. It was great. They had the box, everything, like it was complete. But the more I used it, I started to realize that the A button didn't always work. And that's the most used button in every <laughs> single game. So that's kind of like renders it useless. Like you really had to jam on it to get it to work. And I'm just like, man, I, I bought this and I'm just screwed. It doesn't work. Uh, and I did soft mod it, but even then I was like, I just can't really even play games on it. So I was like, all right, man, it is time to, uh, time to take this thing apart, see if I can fix it. So I watched some tutorial videos and I was like, all right, best case scenario, it just needs to be, the connector just needs to be cleaned off because if you ever take a controller apart, typically the bottom of the button when it hits the motherboard of the controller, it's closing a connection. So there'll be like two wires next to each other that are very close together. And when the button touches it, it connects those two wires. And that's what sends the signal saying that, hey, this button's been pressed. So sometimes those those uh, those wires that the, the button makes contact with or the bottom of the button itself, they just get rusty or they get grimy from the grease and all the grime on your fingers getting like inside the controller and underneath it somehow if your hands are that freaking dirty uh but anyway so i went to take it apart one of the screws would not come off and me trying it was they're the tiniest screws ever so me trying to take the screw off i ended up stripping the screw i'm like great man i can't even get this thing open now to even try to fix it so i tried all different kinds of stuff that I, I looked up online, uh, asked my coworkers on how to handle these screws. And ultimately what I ended up doing is just taking a drill and just drilling into the screw enough until it <laughs> cut the head of the screw off and I could just slide it off because I just completely removed the head of the screw. And yeah, I now lost a screw, but I mean, there's like 10 screws holding the thing together. So who cares if one of them no longer holds it on so i got it apart took it apart cleaned off the button connectors put everything back together fixed it so that that was all it needed 
Redemption. So, yes, redemption from almost destroying one Nintendo console. I redeem myself by repairing another one. That's one thing I want to get better at is because uh, I, I always go through controllers like on Xbox a lot. I want to get better at actually taking those things apart, cleaning them, and putting them back together so that you know I'm not sitting here like, oh, I should just buy. I gotta buy a new controller now. Yeah. Instead, maybe I could save myself some money and just clean the controller from all the grime that's probably underneath it. Yeah, it's always better to fix stuff, um, but it's it's a headache. I get it. It takes time. Sometimes a long time. There's things in this house I've fixed that have been month, month long or multi-month projects. But you feel a lot of satisfaction when you do actually end up fixing things when you can. Right. And I remember there's these wireless PlayStation 2 and original Xbox controllers that I freaking love. They're uh, I got actually got one over here. They're made by Logitech. They're Logitech wireless controllers. Mm. This one's for the original Xbox. And there's another one that I have for PS2. And they work great. Usually I don't like third-party controllers, but these ones are amazing. And it's nice actually having a wireless controller for PlayStation 2 or Xbox. And I know they've sure. since made like modern ones that are really junky. They're all Bluetooth now, so. Yeah. But yes, they work great and I love them. They're hard to come by. And even if you do find them, they typically don't have the dongle that you actually plug into the port. Right. So anyway, uh, I've had a lot of trouble with them. I've brought in a lot of broken ones. I got tons of stories about these, these Logitechs because I am always after these. I originally bought two at Goodwill having never heard of them. I'm like, what the heck? Like This looks like a wireless PlayStation 2 controller. I got it home. One worked, one didn't. But when I took the uh, the battery pack off the back, somebody had left batteries in there for years, and oh. then they got the battery acid leaked out inside of them, and it was all corroded on the inside. Mm -hmm. And I cleaned them up, and like I said, one of them worked, but the other one didn't. Um, so then I had two... No, and I think one of the receivers didn't work, too. But I mean, I bought them at Goodwill. I paid like five bucks for them, if that... But I used it and I absolutely loved it. So I tried to find more. I ended up finding a an extra spare wireless dongle at a second in Charles. They didn't know what it was. They were just selling it as like random PS2 accessory, a dollar. So I'm like, let me get that. And then if I come across a controller, I'll, uh, I'll have an extra dongle for it. Yeah. So, so I went on eBay, bought two of the PlayStation 2 ones that did not have the dongle. They were as is, never been tested, but I figured if I bought two, one might work, and then I have that extra wireless receiver. Well, the package showed up at my house, ripped open, and the controllers were gone. So oh, I don't know if somebody no. stole them from the post office or they just got the package got ripped open just from being tussled around at the post office. So that was a bummer. Uh, I did end up finding an X or no 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 no. I went to Gulf Shores once and found the Xbox one. It was an all white, like EA Sports branded one That's at, awesome. a, at a used game shop in Gulf Shores. And it said it, it literally said works great on the price tag. So I'm like, all right. So I bring it up to the, the counter to buy it. And the guy's like, hey, if anything doesn't work, you can, you can always return it. 
I'm like, yeah, man, I don't live here though. I'm, so I'm, I'm gonna get home in Atlanta, try it on my Xbox. I won't have an op opportunity to return it. But I was pretty confident because, like I said, the price sticker literally had written that somebody had written on it works great. So I took their word for it. Got it home. Sure enough, it did not work great. Uh, the D-pad didn't work. A couple of the face buttons didn't work. I took it apart. Did the same thing I did with the Nintendo 3DS, cleaned it. It fixed some of the buttons, but not all of them. I think one of the buttons still didn't work. So I was like, dang it. But anyway, I held on, I, I scrapped it for parts. I held on to the wireless dongle, because that's that still worked. And then I kept some of the other interchangeable parts. And then I ended up buying another one off eBay, an all black one, that was missing the battery pack on the back so as you see i have the the white one from that broken controller on the back so here. you got plenty of those from the broken ones <laughs> yeah anyway these things are hard to come by they're typically kind of expensive but in my opinion they're like the best playstation 2 and original xbox controllers before we we wrap up i i, I do want to go back to the the body and aspect because i've not modded much in my life except for one thing i've done modding wise on uh and it made me think of it when you're talking about the the uh, 3ds but i modded my original wii i software modded my original wii okay nice and the only reason it was it's kind of a funny way to software mod it you had to have a copy of zelda twilight princess and you had to use Zelda Twilight Princess and get to a certain point in the game and once you get to that point I can't remember exactly how it was but you do a certain move within the game and I, I guess like so, something corresponds to something in the memory card and then you bring your memory card and put it into your computer or your SD card you go from SD card from the Wii to the computer mm -hmm. and you plug it in and then you load up what they called the homebrew channel which mm -hmm. the homebrew channel was you know what you could download your software on and all i wanted to do on it i didn't do anything else but i play a lot of animal crossing i've been playing it all my life but with the wii version of animal crossing i could mod it so that i put i could just own every item in the game and put it all in my oh, town nice so i had you could like create it on the computer too like you could there was like a little like program where like you could like create your town on the computer and then load it back into your Wii and it would show up in the Wii. Whoa. And that was, it was pretty cool, but it was also the first Animal Crossing with online capability where people could come to your town. So I would have every, like random people could come to your town. So I would have every item and I would just have people come and sell and like they would like buy stuff from me. I have my own little store from everything that I modded into the game. So it was kind of fun. That is awesome. Yeah, I, I remember that from a long. I was in, I think, high school maybe doing that. Me and one of my my buddies, Nate, uh, we both did it, and yeah, it was kind of cool having people come in and be like, "Can I, can I get that? Like, how much, how much is that going to cost?" And I'm like, "Whatever, man. I can go put another one in in a second if I need to." <laughs> <laughs> that is cool. Yeah, I mean, I figured you could mod the Wii, but I didn't know that you could do stuff like that where you could actually change a game like that and unlock stuff. Yeah, it was wild. I'm sure there's probably way more I could have done with it, but for some reason, that's all I really wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. Nice, man. Do you still have that Wii? 
I don't have that Wii, actually. I think my dad, you know how my dad is. He just sees something that's still around the house. We're going to give it away at the next yard sale. I'm like, oh, my God. That's that's what happened to all my Pokemon cards I told him never to get rid of, all my Yu-Gi-Oh cards, you know. like. Yeah. He didn't care. He just gave it away for all for $2, you know. <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, uh... Yeah, we can wrap it up there. This is a very Nintendo-y episode today. All right, man. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks Thank again. You. You. made it all the way to the end of the episode. You can find all our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Mitch, where else are we at? Yeah, you can find us on all of our social media accounts. Our Twitter is at the Hills Are Silence. Our Instagram is Instagram backslash Hills Are Silent. Our TikTok is at the Hills Are Silent podcast. And then, as Mike said, our YouTube is at the Hills Are Silent. If you have any questions or comments, I know Mike was saying uh, if you know how to software mod a GameCube, uh, let a, me know. GameCube, slide into our inbox at uh, Hills Are Silent at gmail.com. We'll catch you in the next episode.